to Trailer Therapy, a podcast about trailers, media, and entertainment, hosted by your two best frenemies. Hello, I'm your co-host, Brian Wynn, alongside with fellow co-host, Brian McKinney. Hi, I'm Brian McKinney, and welcome to episode two of Trailer Therapy. Welcome, man. Hey, we've made it to episode two. (laughs) We haven't been canceled yet. This is great. No, we haven't. It's great. We'll see by episode four and where we're at, you know, but uh, so far, so good, you know. Um, but yeah, man, how's uh, how's everything going? Good. Everything's great. It's uh, it's another beautiful Monday in trailer world. Totally, man. Which means uh, trying to get your ducks in a row for the rest of the week and, you know, lay out the game plan. Yeah, no. Um, it's funny. This literally... We're recording this on Monday, and a brand new trailer dropped like a couple hours ago, and it's uh, it's it's a good one. Leave the world behind. Yeah. Anytime you get Ethan Hawke and Kevin Bacon in the same movie, instant instant success. Yeah, I don't understand, man. It's like printing money at that point. Um, I think I saw that uh, Elephant posted that they did it. Oh, um, nice. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good one. It's a Congrats. it's a great one. We ended. Uh, what was it? And we ended last week on uh, on stuff that we didn't discuss, which was a uh, Toxic Avenger. Yes, the uh, Toxic Avenger piece that uh, Mark Wollen did. It was certainly something, right? It was a throwback. I loved it. Yeah, it reminds me of it's it, it's it's really cool. It kind of gives me uh, Sin City vibes in a sense, in a, in a sense where it's like super edgy and conceptual. Um, not not really in relation to the art style, but I just feel like it's sort of breaking the norm and stuff. And yeah, Elijah Wood. Yeah, love Elijah Wood. <laughs> so. uh, another Kevin Bacon movie. <laughs> yeah, he's making moves. And uh, Peter, Peter Dinklage as Toxie. That's right. I haven't seen him in a movie since that musical last year. Um, I can't. I can't recall the name now. We'll link it. But um, yeah, he, uh, I'm stoked for him post Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, and I'm interested to see uh, another Macon Blair, the director who did. Um, I don't feel at home with this world in this world anymore, which was another Elijah Wood movie. That's right. That's right. Uh, I just watched that with my daughter not too long ago. That's been on my uh, letterbox watch list for, for some time now. I watch it. It's uh, Elijah Wood with nunchucks. Yeah. It's funny because I'm, I'm I go through my letterbox um, every now and again, just to see what movie I've been sort of missing and stuff. I see on those lists, there's a lot of A24 stuff like talk to me that I haven't watched yet, but I'm saving that because now we're in October. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch that. And another movie that it's on my list is, uh, no one, no one will save you. Oh yeah. Um, that's a Hulu movie. So those like, I don't know, we try to make it a tradition to watch at least like a few horror movies a week or something like that here in this household. So we try. So anytime there's a new horror movie, we're like, ah, October's so close. We'll watch it then. Well, my daughter is 13, almost 14. So she's just starting to watch uh, edgier horror movies. And so I'm going through watching them with her. And we started a list of like, I think we have like 27 movies on it right now. And then every time we have a chance to watch a movie, we'll uh, do a random number generator. And then whatever it lands on, we'll watch that movie from the list. Man, that's, that's so cool. 
Like, my kid's four, so he's not doing any of that. And the only thing that he's developed in the last year or so from last Halloween is that he developed fear. <laughs> so um, so now he's just perpetually scared in our house with the giant spiders and the skulls and stuff like that. And everything is motion censored. And uh, he, he walks around in terror now. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's super cool. I can't wait to do that in, like, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. So I have three kids. And so, you know, my, my oldest is 13 and then I have an 11 year old and a nine year old. So every couple of years mm-hmm. we'll just repeat the process. Um, but you know, I, I find that as my younger kids get older, we're letting them do mm-hmm. things a little earlier than the oldest. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, that's how it was with us. I'm the youngest of three and I'm like eight years younger than my middle sister. And, uh, I felt like I had a little bit more leeway because they had to test the waters with their first two kids, you know, yeah. good for them. <laughs> we had to wait until, um, until my daughter was 11 before she could watch stranger things. And then she became a super fan. But then like, you know, two weeks ago we had an outdoor movie and we watched, um, stranger things season one with everybody, including my nine year old <laughs> son. So it's like, you know, just get a little lax as time goes on. I think about that a lot as a parent. I'm like, what age do I do things? Because I know that there are like ratings that, you know, kind of group things together and stuff. Stranger Things being like a PG-13 type thing, yada, yada. But it's like, at what point am I like socially outcasting my kid because I'm like following the rules? But at the same time, I want to be like a responsible person too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a... It's a balance that you need to figure out. Um, I think we started with like Ghostbusters and Gremlins and those sort of like, yeah. you know, 80s PG movies. I think, you know, they didn't have a PG-13 until, you know, like mid-80s yeah. or whatever. So sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out, like, is this a 80s PG or a, you know? Yeah, well, my, my kid's been really digging the... Uh the nightmare before christmas vinyl oh, nice. we've been listening to that but that's like the scariest thing that he's been introduced to right now is uh, danny elfman <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah man uh aside from those you know another great drop that we forgot to mention last week is uh, netflix has been doing this really big push and me being an avid fan of this medium of art it's always super cool and netflix teased it like two three weeks ago and then they dropped it on last wednesday it was called drop one and it was essentially just a collection of anime and it was very it you know of course they have their own sort of western twist to it and it's very close in line with like the castlevania anime that's been dropping out for netflix and stuff but like they dropped castlevania blue eye samurai they dropped uh, they showed a glimpse of Scott Pilgrim, which is a really exciting one for a lot of people oh, yeah. because it was like a, you know, it was like a cult film. And now they're bringing back the original art style and like all the original actors and stuff. And I think it's a really cool twist. Also, kind of Netflix has kind of built themselves on so many platforms. Like they've done, uh, of course, they have their great original TVs and original movies, questionable Christmas films, but still great. Um, but they, they've cemented themselves in, like, Korean dramas, uh, Indian-based dramas, and action films like RRR. And then they got this whole side of anime, and they've been slowly acquiring more and more and more. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people do realize that, like, Netflix and Sony do have a partnership, too. And then Sony owns Crunchyroll. So, uh, okay. Um, so they have this entire backlog that they can actually bring to the platform and stuff. And then, uh, yeah, so they did this drop one. It was great. Um, we only had, you know, we only got a chance to work on one of them, which was a dream come true for me because anime is great. And it, it's so 
closed off from the rest of the marketing world in terms of what you can work on. So it was really great to see um, Netflix kind of kind of leading the charge on that, but allowing us on this side of the world to really be able to kind of, you know, have our hands in it. Yeah. So is there anything in particular that you saw from the drop one? Man, well, you know, the Castlevania one's always exciting because they are a short enough format so that people don't get burned out. Because, for example, like I'm on like chapter 300 and something of One Piece, and I understand no one has that kind of time. Yeah. So for like, let's say season one was like four episodes or something, you know, so like it's a very obtainable goal for people to watch. And I think that it's kind of removing that stigma around uh, other forms of media, you know, like anime is not just for children and everything like that. So it's cool to see kind of Netflix embracing that really. But yeah, uh, it was uh, Castlevania and then like, uh, you know, Blue Eye Samurai, of course. But, you know, I'm biased on that one. Uh, Buddha Jones cut that one and we, you know, we had a chance to work on it. So, yeah, great spot. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it, was it was one of those, uh, we, when we heard, when we heard it, we we're like, man, this would be crazy not to go through. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, man, um, you know, moving on to uh, our next topic, you know, we have, you know, we're so organized and. When I say we, I mean you, because you're very organized and I'm chaotic and we complement each other like that. Um, this, this, this next part is a, is a question, man. What's, uh, what's, the, what's your favorite project you've ever gotten a chance to work on? Well, I, yeah. You know, there's a lot that I'd like to talk about over, but, you know, we've got 300 more episodes this season. Of course. Um, of our podcast. To, to handle that. But, you know, one of the ones that comes to mind, um, I actually just talked about it a few minutes ago, was Stranger Things. Yeah. And uh, for Stranger Things Part 3, Chapter 3, Season 3, yeah, um, we had a song placed in one of the episodes. Very nice. And that was very cool. Um, I, I was like, you know, a super fan at the time, so getting something placed in that was awesome. Man, so cool. And it was vintage, you know, like it's, it's all vintage has to be from the year that that episode takes place or before. And, uh, a friend's company was working with a composer or a songwriter and he happened to have a band in the eighties in New Jersey and was like, yeah, you can pitch our, our old music to the show. And they're like, all right, let's do it. And they used it because, you know, they need a lot of, uh, affordable, authentic eighties pop and rock music uh because a lot of the budget for stranger things goes to the you know their talking heads and their you know named big major label artists yeah that sounds expensive Um, yeah i'm sure it's super expensive so you know every year they're adding more and more needle drops to the show but i and i don't know how much the budget's increasing that's usually not how those things work yeah, it's like when we watch Air, remember? And the, it was like yeah. every, every like 35 seconds, there's another track. <laughs> I just felt like I was just Don't forget, you're in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. You know, I forgot for like really quick for like a scene, but then they quickly reminded me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't forget this crystal clear Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. You're still in the 80s. Yeah. I thought there was a time jump, but no, no, we're still there. You're still in the 80s. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's interesting because, uh, I've seen that, I've seen that sort of trend go from like seventies and eighties, uh, to like 
early 90s, late 90s now in terms of what songs to trailerize. Um, so that's always interesting to see now we're now, I feel like now as an industry, we're like in the 90s, so like early 2000s, <laughs> you know, um, we're catching up. Yeah. So speaking of trailerizing, that's a big industry trend. Uh, do you choose a lot on your own of songs that you're going to trailerize or do you get a lot of requests as well? How do you, how does that normally go for you? Um, let's see. So just in general, uh, it's, it's kind of separated into two tiers, whether, um, a client's coming to us and saying, Hey, this is the song. And we're like, got it. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, me being on the custom side now for a while, we have a good collection. <laughs> like our, I feel like our own sort of Spotify trailerizations that we've done and not all of them make it unfortunately so it's always a a really cool thing to see whenever uh, we get a chance to pitch anything um and then there might be a chance where um i might be put on a project and um they might ask they might be like hey what song do you think we could do for this you know like it might be a just a light suggestion as opposed to them really asking me but i take it i take it all the same and i'm like you know what i'll make you like a spotify playlist of what i think is perfect (laughs) um you know it's only I think officially, officially, it's only been like two or three times uh, in my career where they've actually used the song that I picked, you know, Um, (laughs) for better or for worse. But it's always that stressful thing because if it doesn't resonate and it doesn't really land with audience and stuff, then that's like entirely on you as opposed to it just being a job. There are a lot of layers that it needs to go through before it gets to an audience. So I don't think it's entirely on you. (laughs) (laughs) At least that's what it feels like, you know? It's always what it feels like. Yeah, I'm always always just scouring uh, reactions of trailers that we work on or anything like that just to see if it resonates. Because, like, we're not part of focus testing. We're not really a part of, on the creative side at least. So for us, you know, when we post it, especially in our circles, we... We have other composers and other clients, but we're not really seeing what the general audience is really thinking of every piece. And so reaction videos, I always do those. I always watch those just to see if like, oh, did that stop down really like warrant the the sort of uh, intention, you know, did the intention come across at least, you know? Yeah, especially if it's something you as a composer actually worked on. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm excited nonetheless, whether it's, you know, me working on it or a composer or one of my composers working on it, you know, at the end of the day, it's like a team thing. So like, but uh, yeah, it's always a good barometer to see how people react to stuff. Um, and a lot of the times, the best trailers and stuff like that, it's all encompassing. You're not really noticing just the music or noticing just the, the visual. It's all kind of just encompassing its own form of art, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like the best trailers, when you watch reactions, they're just like, wow, that was a great trailer. They don't know why, but just instinctually, it just really makes you want to go watch the movie. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's that's a really good favorite project of yours, by the way. Snap, that's my favorite project of yours. <laughs> Thanks. You know, it's, it's just one of those ones that it's so hard to get, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's been trailers that I've gotten that I love, but it's not been contingent on so many, like variables of having to have this song from this year you know in in this budget um for a show that i love so you know it all just came together in a really fun way yeah no definitely and it's hard because we have goals all of us have goals i mean you got goals on what projects we want to work on the only issue with our goals is that they all have time limits you know they they come and go so like 
if you really wanted Stranger Things, you only have a finite amount of years to get into it before it's gone forever and you're working on the 20th anniversary remix of it or something. But aside from that, that's like, that's what's the, I feel like that's the only, or not really only, but that's like one of the main stressors of our job, especially if it's a project you really, really want. It's like, it's almost better if you just kind of come at it where every project is its own thing and you get it, you get it, you don't get it. You kind of have like a, like a third party kind of outside perspective on it. But like us being on this side, especially since me and you both do customs and stuff, we're so ingrained in it. We're, we're almost a part of the process with them. So it's that much uh, more uh, heartbreaking, I would say. It gets emotional. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, times where you work really hard on something, it doesn't land, something else lands. Yeah. And then you're like, I take it a little bit personally, you know, and of course. you're not as excited to watch <laughs> whatever that movie is when it comes out. No, it's true, you know. Um, yeah, it always hurts the most when it's like the same song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but. In that defense, in that defense, there, you know, has been a few trailers that have come out and I'm like, man, I could have sworn we did that idea, but it came out so good that I wasn't even mad. It was like, it was so good that I was like, yeah, all right, that's fine. <laughs> and since we are best frenemies, I mean, that's happened between us. So <laughs> with you landed something that we had worked uh, on a cover or uh, we, we did a trailerization of a song that you guys also did a trailerization yeah. of. And yours landed. I mean, it wasn't for the same project. Yeah, It's just so funny being like, oh, look at what they just did. You know, darn, I wish we could have gotten that one first. But yeah. that's the nature of the business. It doesn't make me mad at you. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I, but I think there is a stigma against uh, publishers. We're, we're supposed to be neck and neck. We're supposed to be hating each other, man. We're supposed to. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's that industry. And I think that's why me and you are so close is that we can kind of put that aside and sort of get down to the meat of it. We're just very passionate about it. And I think that that's something that really uh, ingrains our sort of unique voice into the projects that we work on. And it's because we do have a love for the medium as well. Whereas I feel like, you know, some individuals can really feel like, oh, well, this is the music aspect and that is the trailer cutting and editing process. And they don't really go hand in hand. But for us, you know, it's, it's all one thing. It's all, we're all working together, you know? Yeah, so I, we sort of got off topic a little bit, but how about you? What's a project of yours? You know, it's funny. Um, well, uh, I will avoid any sort of like NDA projects or anything, but it's funny. I'll talk about one of my favorite projects, and it's such a small project in comparison to everything, and not a lot of people know about it. My favorite project that I did um, and then I'll probably later on in another episode go over my favorite project that I got to work with another composer to do. But one of my favorite projects I got to work on is <laughs> it's a cooking show. <laughs> it was called, okay. it was a Netflix cooking show. Um, it was called salt, fat, acid, heat. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, I was a fan of the book, but, um, you know, just as like a, just as a casual amateur cook, but, um, I'm a huge fan I will, well, you know, I am a huge fan of Taking Back Sunday. And the client came to me with that song, you know, um, can, can Look Back, that song. Um, and yeah. it was off their new album. And I hadn't heard that song before, but I got, you know, the stems for it. And I was just told, can you just make that really pretty? 
And it was like a, it's like a pretty like indie folk rock type song. And they wanted to make it super pretty for a cooking show. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was one of those opportunities where I was going to give it to another composer to work on. But then I loved, I loved that band so much that, uh, you know, I had to do it. And I remember I spent all night trying to think of the best way to go about it. And then I even sang on it and, uh, it's my first vocal credit too. I got my ooze in there, but then, uh, nice. And then that trailer just came out. It was like a V1. And then the trailer came out and I was so, I know no one cared about it, but I cared about it. And it was, uh, one of, uh, those kind of things where, you know, when you're working on a project and you just feel like you're kind of hitting your head against a wall on something, you're like, I don't know how to take it there. It just, everything just sort of fit like a puzzle piece. And it's only been a few times where I feel like that has happened in, in my career at the very least, where it just felt like everything just clicked. Yeah. Um, it went out, it came out, they used it front to end. And that was that. And that was one of my favorite projects I ever got to work on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, everyone's going to be furiously typing in salt SD. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be trending number top 10 on Netflix this week. <laughs> I'm it's, hoping it's for season the two. Therapy bump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the show came out in like 2017, 2018. <laughs> it never got a season two, but, you know, hey, you never know. <laughs> yeah. We've got the book. My wife just collects uh, cooking books, even though. It's hard to cook because none of my kids eat food that isn't out of a bag. <laughs> you know, um, I tell myself every year I'm going to be a professional baker. And um, my wife, she's such an amazing cook. And she basically does a heavy load of cooking. And all I do is grill. Um, nice. But then she's like, you know what? You should start baking. So I bought like three or four baking uh, cookbooks. And then I have all my friends that came over and they're like, Oh, you should bake us something. Cause they see all my baking cookbooks. I'm like, sure, whatever, just pick something on the page. And they have the nerve to pick like the hardest, like triple layered cakes and stuff. So we'll see how it goes, man. Good luck. Yeah. But yeah, man, um, going to really the main topic of this whole thing, and it was uh, something me and you really thought of today, and I think it's really important. I've talked about this before in the past on other podcasts and stuff, but I'm coining it here, um, and I'll, I'll lead it up to you. Um, finding your unique voice as a composer, you know, as you know, it's a saturated market. I feel like every day there's another 10 composers hitting us up. Um, for you, how would you say someone should go about finding their unique voice or even the ideology of like, what does it mean to have a unique voice? Yeah. It, you know, I think that's the magic, the magic question is how, how to get that unique voice so that you stand out from your competition and get noticed. Uh, you know, I think we even talked about this on the first episode is that the music supervisors and the editors and us, you know, everyone that's working on the, projects have heard so many cues in their lifetime of every genre so just doing something as simple as creating some signature sounds that are original or you know try, trying to find something to stand out you know just super important so for me i think that that could be anything from you know choosing really unique signature sounds and they can be from a library, you know, a yeah. lot of composers are using like Keep Forest and audio, you know, all these different yeah. libraries and, and um, 
buying them and using them in trailers. But just, you know, if someone takes the extra time to record their own sounds, true. I, and I'm talking about sound design, I'm talking about, you know, like hits and risers yeah. and pings and all these different things that go into a cue on top of the strings and the drums. Yeah. Um, so just spending that extra time to create something new and unique. Uh, for me, I think that's one of the most important things. Yeah. But I also know that in this business, you don't always have that time or that no, luxury. Totally. You know, I feel like uh, your best use of time whenever you're in between projects, albums, customs, anything like that is to hone in on your toolkit of stuff so you can always bring it in, merge it into your uh, your latest and greatest. Um, I talk about it a lot too. Um, you know, it's, I remember. It was a question I asked Jason Graves, who's a composer for video games, Dead Space, yada, yada. Um, I remember I talked to him and I'm like, what's your greatest advice for a composer? And he he said, just listen to music, but don't listen to just the type of music that you aspire to want to write to. Listen to everything because you never know what you draw inspiration from. Like we worked on, uh, you know, we just did the League of Legends uh, world theme and a lot of those you know, a lot of ideas that we kind of came from it came from not just previous orchestral references that we thought of. It was like uh, Riot Overkill, or it was uh, it was Lorne Balfe's uh, Assassin's Creed score. It was yada yada. And there's the amount of times I think of like, oh, this thing that Eminem does, or this thing that NF does, is really cool rhythmic phrasing that might work for this. It's just listen to a lot of music, you know, but just don't listen to music that, that is your safe spot. Don't listen just to music that is your like, Oh, this is just my go-to. I'm just going to listen to trailer music. You know, I also think that's a huge pitfall for people. Just to listen to trailer music. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's really important. Like you said, to listen to other things. Uh, you know, we're talking about your unique voice, mm -hmm. but when you're taking all these different elements from all these different, genres and yeah. influences and putting them together well that's unique you know yep. you might take like the phrasing from eminem and the drums from nf you know, like, yeah and you're taking all these things and you're mixing them up and you're putting them into your your daw and you know what comes out isn't going to sound like any of those things um so yeah i think i think that's super important to to draw inspiration like that because it's going to come up with something original no definitely it's uh it's just uh I think it's super important. Um, I feel like the most successful composers uh, on my roster are the ones that really like really define their their sound. And I get it. In this world, you kind of want to be the jack of all trades. You want to be able to do all of it, everything, because it maximizes your potential opportunities and stuff. But there's nothing wrong about you know cornering a market and being that sound, and maybe even innovating or creating a new new category, a new category for yourself so that things kind of fall in place of that you know like i know that uh, uh elephant music had this great great run with uh vocal led uh tracks and stuff you know using yeah. uh it's like those syllables and uh it's very like ominous but very driving and it was like the next step up from like stringy classical stuff so it's like you know, and then I was a step up from like plucky strings for horror, like hereditary. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you never know what might resonate. And it, even if uh, I think at, at the end of the day, what I always tell composers, and it's always at the end of my briefs, end all be all, just make it dope. Like, 
at the end of the day, yeah. it just needs to be cool. Like, you know, have it be something you'd want to listen to, you know? Uh, so it's funny. I, I, I kept saying that so much that I got that as a gift on a mug. It just says make it dope. So, awesome. um, but yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's our take on it. Listen to a lot of music. You never know. You might find your latest harmony in, you know, a flaming lip song. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, sometimes when I'm goofing around in Logic, I'll, yeah. you know, take uh, Radiohead chord progression yeah. and, you know, put that into like a sound design cue. You know, there's only so many chords in the world and yeah. there's only so many um, chord structures that people are going to use and progressions. So, yeah. you know, if you take a progression from a song that you love mm-hmm. and you put it into a whole new genre with all new instruments, it's not really stealing because there's 85,000 other songs that are using those same chords I in agree. that order. You know, what's a great um, one that I just came across? So um, my kid is a huge fan of Polyphia, the band, uh, Tim Henson, guitar guru, yada, yada. And uh-huh. he was he was talking about this one song that he wrote. It was called Goat. And uh, he pulled it up on uh, Ableton. That's the doll that he uses. But then he kind of talked about what influenced him to get there. And he would just put in like uh, melody tracks of like Drake or yada yada or Jay-Z or something. And then just use that as like a almost like a remixing tool where you're remixing on top of that. But then you end up muting that. But then you still have this somewhat vibe essence oh, yeah. of it. So it's kind of like, you know, do, you know, break out of the norm of what's comfortable for you too. Because a lot of the times... I feel like some people just kind of label themselves into one genre only because that's all they've done. But like, I feel like, you know, expand your horizon on what you know in terms of music and stuff. And then really finding uh, that voice of yours. You know, we saw that years ago with like faux tales and stuff like that, where he, he kind of leaned into that cinematic piano stuff. Or you look at Woodkid, you know exactly, you know exactly their tone. And I feel like as long as you're confident, and the music is dope. I feel like you're there. Sure. It's, you know, make it dope is great advice as it long is. as it's at the end of a brief yep. and not the only part of the brief. I, I think we probably have both gotten briefs where <laughs> people have come to us and said, all right, we need this. Make it dope. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So, you know, um, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole can of worm discussion later on where it's like, <laughs> It's um, from our end doing customs and stuff. A lot of it's very subjective. So at the end of the day, what do you, what do you do to service the need of the client on top of servicing the need of of yourself as an artist? You know, what would you like to hear? And a lot of the times, I lean that way more than anything. I'm like, I feel like if I make it to the point where I want to hear it, then maybe the next person will want to hear it. You know, and maybe yes, yeah, maybe, maybe it'll keep going down that ladder. You know, so. Um, what I've what I'll say though is that on the video game side, I feel like we've been given more of those liberties than you know what we will in trailers, but uh, it's a it's a it's a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, I think there's less like expectations uh, in video games than there is in trailers because yeah, the, the studios and the clients are coming at it from a different angle. Yeah, and they don't, no, they don't have all the same like oh you know we just did Fast and Furious, but you know this next. trailer we're working on needs to have that same sort of like yeah fast and furious energy yeah well you know you as much as video games make money they make more money than like all the other mediums put together and stuff but like at the end of the day i still feel like they uh underestimate their reach so they're like "Ah, 
uh, if a handful of people like this, that's cool. And they'll send it out, you know, even though it gets like, like 300 million views or something like that, whatever. <laughs> and we want to also preface to everyone listening that we do have a, uh, email set up. <laughs> so if anyone has any questions that they want to submit, um, please reach out. What is our email? Brian? Our email is help at trailertherapypod.com. Trailertherapypod.com. Help. <laughs> as, well, as, as well as all the socials are either at Trailer Therapy or at Trailer Therapy Pod, depending, yeah. on, uh, depending on the platform. Yeah, no, definitely. We will, you know, it's Check really the, the first week of operations. So we're going to be much better with the social medias. And by we, I mean me. Um, yeah, you're really on top of things. So I really appreciate it. But yeah, man. Um, if there's anything else, oh yeah. Also, uh, leave five stars because you like us. <laughs> yeah, send, send send us some five star reviews on Apple Podcast, please. I desperately want to get to the top of the charts. One star. These guys are garbage. <laughs> and even if you think that, just give us five. Stars. Just lie. Who's gonna know? know? Who's gonna know? <laughs> All right. Well, cool, man. Um, until the next time. Yeah, send in some questions and we'll we'll tackle them on a future episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks everybody for listening to Trailer Therapy Podcast, episode two. <laughs>